We're in a message series, Then They Met Jesus, as we walk through the season of Lent. Then they met Jesus. You do know that when you meet Jesus, he makes all the difference in the world. Can I get a witness in the house today? Now, I'm so excited that he can make a great difference in anyone's life. And you know what? He can intersect with us any place in our life and make that grand difference. And that's exactly what he wants to do. You know, some years ago, we pastored in Columbia, Missouri. While pastoring there, we met up with a guy named Lonnie. Lonnie ran an earth-moving company, and he had had a measure of success. But he said to me one day while I was riding with him in one of the dump trucks, he said to me, he said, you know, Pastor Kevin, he said, I found something out and probably found it out the hard way. If I run my truck seven days a week and no break, <clears throat> I do worse financially, my equipment doesn't work as well as it does if I work six days a week, take that break and take my family to church on Sunday. It was something that he learned. It was a small decision. He said to his workers, we're not going to be working any more Sundays. We're going to be off on that day. We're going to let God take care of our business. And God did, took care of his business. It's been my opportunity over the last number of years to pastor a lot of people in a lot of different churches. For some reason, business owners enjoy coming and listen to me preach. And so there'll be many people that work in businesses, small businesses, bigger businesses that would come and they would hear the story about how God can turn your business into something better if you'll turn your life and your business over to him. And just a couple of weeks ago, someone stopped me and told me how they had done that and how God had blessed them exponentially and been able to uh, take their business to places they never dreamed it would go. And they said it all happened when we began to honor God in our giving. It's a beautiful thing to just be able to present ourselves to God as we are without any pretense. You take Dr. Todd Price, as a 10-year-old boy, he, he sat there and heard how he could sponsor a kid that was underprivileged around the world for $15 a month. And he thought, I can do that. And so he got a lawnmower and he began mowing the lawn and he got $15 a month and he sent it over to help some kid that he didn't even know really, but he would come to know later. And he thought, wow, this is great. So he began to tell other people about what he was trying to do. And then he found out people needed shoes. And he continued his educational pursuit. He's a physician. And as he continued his pursuit of that, several major companies in the United States joined with him. And together, they've been able to send one million pairs of shoes. He learned that kids were facing diseases overseas in countries from diseases we've already wiped out in our, in our nation. But they didn't have vaccines that could help them wipe them out. And he thought, maybe I can do something about it. So he began to do this, and other people joined with him. And and the medical community joined with him, and he's helped give 50 million vaccines to children overseas to help wipe out diseases you and I take for granted that are wiped out in our country. It happened when a boy said, I can push a lawnmower, $15 a month, I can make a difference. And it reminds me that all of us have the opportunity to make a difference. You and I have the privilege to be able to make a difference somewhere in the life of somebody that we, that we run in contact with today. The story read just a little bit ago in John chapter six is a familiar story. It's easy for us to think it's something that should be read to the children and they ought to know that Bible story. Then we kind of debate in our mind, is that a myth? Is that a legend? Or is that truly something that would be a biblical story? And the fact of the matter is when you write, read the biblical account, you understand it's told as a factual story, a true experience told in all four gospels as something they witnessed Jesus participate in. This, ladies and gentlemen, is what happens when somebody meets up with Jesus. 
He can God-size anything. He can God-size you today in your life. So I want to look today at four different thoughts here, things about this boy in this story. As we expose the Scripture, we exposit the Scripture, and let the Scripture speak to us today. And the first thing, look at verse 9, everyone has something to bring to Jesus. This is true in the ancient history. David had a sling to bring to, to God. He had been out practicing with that. He had killed a bear. He had killed a lion. He had no doubt killed other things, but we know that he had done that. The Scripture tells us that. And when it came time for him to go up against Goliath, he says, who is this that comes up against the name of God? He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, and I will do to you what I did to the lion and to the bear. And that's exactly what he did. He gave God the sling, and he swung that, and the rock nailed, nailed Goliath. Or take the widow at Zarephath, when the prophet Elijah comes by and he says, I need you to give me some food. She says, I really don't have much, just a little bit of oil and a little bit of meal for my family. He said, give that to me and God will take care of you. And you know what she did? She took faith. She grabbed hold of a little bit of faith. She took the little bit of oil she had. She took the little bit of meal that she had. She whipped together a little meal for the prophet. And she said, here you go. And as a result of that, her faith and her giving that gift to the person of God, in this case, God multiplied that out and she had oil throughout the entire drought. She had meal enough for her family through the entire drought. God supplied every need she had and God can do the same thing for you and me in whatever way he wants to have that happen today. Everybody has something to give to Jesus. You take Ruth, the lady in the Older Testament. Her husband dies, her father-in-law dies, her brother-in-law dies. It sounds like a country song. They all died. I wonder if her dog died. I'm not sure. But she definitely could have written a country song right there, and we'd all heard it and cried with her on that. But she had life going against her, and her culture was not set up as ours is. That meant she was going to fall down to about the form of a slave. And her mother-in-law says, why don't you just go back to your own home people? I don't have any more sons for you to marry. There's nothing here for you to stay for. And she said something incredible. She said, nope, I'm not going to do it. I made a decision when I entered this family. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where your family goes, I will go. So I'm ready to go. And they went back over into Bethlehem. And when they came back into town, people saw Naomi, her mother-in-law, and said, hey, we know you. We haven't seen you for a long time. She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for my life has been hard, and I don't really like it. And said, who's your tag along? Well, that's Ruth. She is one of my son's wives, and she is here with me. Now, you know what happened to Ruth? <clears throat> she realized they didn't have much. So she went out into a field and started getting busy. Sometimes you may not have much. Maybe you need to go to work. She went to work, and she went out into the field and started gathering up the, the leftover grain that was there. And there was a guy walking by. His name was Boaz. Uh-huh. He saw her, and she was fine. And he said, hmm, who is that? And pretty soon they discovered and said, leave a little bit of extra grain out in the field because she's fine. And so they left some grain out in the field for her. And he began to question around because in that time period, the next kinsman redeemer, next kinfolk male, would have been able to have bought the estate value and brought her into his own tribe as one of his own and you know what Boaz did? He checked around. Nobody else wanted to take her on. He says, I will take her on. She made a little old decision back here. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you go, I will go. Just a little T90 decision. You couldn't weigh that decision on a scale. 
You couldn't paint that decision as a picture. It was a decision she made in her heart, in her mind, and voiced it and said, this is the way I'll go. So when you pick up your Bible and pick up Matthew chapter 1, and you start reading down through there, you read somewhere down there pretty soon about a couple of people, and you know who they are? It's the lineage of Jesus, Ruth and Boaz. You start reading about them in the lineage of Jesus Christ himself. God knew from the foundation of time what he wanted to do with them, and he knows what he wants to do with you. Would you nudge your neighbor and say, God knows you. Go ahead and smack them real hard and wake them up. And then you take Esther. Esther had things going somewhat against her. You know what? She was so beautiful, it hurt. You know how it hurt? She got selected by the foreign king to be his wife because she was beautiful. And so she was brought in as his wife, the new queen. Vashti was dead. And in those moments, she realized there was a plan that was growing among the polity and those leaders. And the plan was to exterminate the Jews. She was a Jew. She realized she was placed in the kingdom for such, listen to this, for such a time as this. And you know what she did? She didn't go take a nap and say, oh, I just wish it would go away. I don't know what to do. Paralysis analysis. No. Nope. She didn't do that. You know what she did? She said, Lord, with your help, I'll do it. Her uncle encouraged her, and she went before the king, set a trap for the person who was plotting to kill the Jews. And in that moment, the king got fired up, joined with his wife now, Esther and had all of the people that were plotting wiped out and the Jews remained. You see, God had made a promise to Abraham back in chapter 12 of Genesis. He said, I have a plan. Your people will be as the stars. They'll be as the sands, grain. You're going to be able to go forever. And if God had let them get wiped out right there, if God be God still, I don't think so. He's still God and he had a plan. And you may have all hell come against you and all kinds of problems challenge you. But let me tell you something. There is a God in heaven who knows you, who calls you by name. Got the hair on your head numbered. You may mow him down with a razor, but he knows. And he knows the hair of your head. Is telling us in that idiom that he knows everything about us. Knows your thoughts before you think them. And he knows what's going on with you. And today he's not surprised by your circumstance, your situation, as you meet up with the intersection of your reality. And this God, this same God, knows all that's going on. And he is able to do for you what needs to be done. He is that kind of God. And this little boy, he comes in here and he has a little bag with him. Now the scripture says that there were 5,000 men. They counted the men. They didn't count all the women and children, but they counted the men. Okay, whatever. So they count them and go ahead and figure most of them had a wife. So we'll give them 10,000 in the group. Most of them had a kid. So we give them 15,000 in the group. And they're all around there. How they found this one boy with a lunch is beyond me because they had been walking the crowd and they pretty much knew that nobody has a lot of food. And the conversation begins to ensue in this passage here. So let's look at this. Everybody needs to choose to be available to God. Verses 5 through 9 talks about it. The situation was very ripe for a miracle. There's something that needs to happen here. Nothing is happening here. And something has to happen. So they finally find this little boy, Philip. And Jesus had this conversation. And Jesus already knew the scripture said what he was going to ask Philip to do. And what he was going to have the disciples do. And the miracle he was going to perform with the boy. 
Already knew it in his head. Knew it when? When the foundation of the world was put together. He already knew it. But he says to Philip, said, why don't you give us the people something to eat here? <laughs> Philip looked around, kind of chuckled. The Kevin version says it's kind of like this. Jesus, you know full well we can't feed these people. We don't have enough stuff. We don't have enough money. It'd take almost a year or 200 days, he's saying. It'd take a year's worth of work to be able to feed these people. And we don't have, plus, they don't have any restaurants around here enough to handle all this crap. There's no hope. They need to just go home. They've got something at home, surely. Andrew's walking through the crowd. You've heard of Andrew, right? Andrew's walking through the crowd. He is Peter's brother. You hear a lot about Peter. Peter denied Christ. Peter walked on the water. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak and, and saw thousands saved. You remember that? All right, that same guy. Peter, this is his brother. You don't read a message from Andrew anywhere in the Bible, but you do see him bringing people to Jesus. Every time we see about Andrew, he's bringing people to Jesus. John 12, bringing the Greeks to Jesus. John 1, bringing Peter to Jesus. John 6, bringing a boy with fishes to Jesus. He comes over and says, Jesus, I found this little boy over there. He's got five little flatbreads, five little flatbreads about like so. They're barley breads, unleavened. They're not going to rise. They're really about the, should be about the diameter of a hamburger bun, but this will work. He said, you got one, two, three, four, five. Now we're still in the Kevin version. So he said, Jesus, really? I can't feed these people. Oh, and he's got a couple fish too. I thought these fish might stink by now, but they made them in sardines. How many of you like sardines? May the Lord have mercy on you. <laughs> I studied out this little word, what it's talking about here. Asperia is a word. And John's the only one in the Gospels to use it out of the four Gospels, and the word means a little bitty fish. So he's in the land of fish, Sea of Galilee. They catch a lot of fish, right? So he said, I want you to know we're talking about T90 fish. So you put that in current version. That's what that is. We, we're talking little ones you would throw back. But this little kid didn't throw them back. He has some of these. Now they make them into kind of a sardine-like. So what he's going to be able to do is kind of smear it on for flavor on that bread. <laughs> Peanut butter and jelly right there. He had them with him. And he was getting ready to do it. And so he said, Jesus, that's all we've got, Andrew says. And he said, what are you going to do with that? And of course, uh, Jesus said, well, <clears throat> everybody's got something to bring to God, right? You have something to bring to God today. I read some years ago about a minister who was wanting to convert a lot of the messages he had written down to put them in electronic form. And so he found a lady that said she would help with it. And so he went over to her house and she was going to type up all of his messages and so he went in, and he realized that she was, had no use of her arms, none. And he was taken aback by it. And he says, how are you going to type up my messages? She said, I still have my feet, and I still have my toes. I'll type them all up. I'll tell you when I'm done. And that's what she did. Everybody's got to choose to be available to God, verses 5 through 9. The situation is ripe for a miracle. 
your dead end, your opportunity is a challenge to you, but it is, it is not a problem to God. It is a solution waiting to happen. It's time to eat. The people are tired. They're hungry, verse 5 says. Philip says, we don't have enough. Andrew says, we've only got this. And Jesus had the answer. And in Mark, when he talks about this, chapter, chapter 6, verse 40, he says, well, I have the people sit down in 50s and 100s. Now, they would do probably like they did in the Old Testament, how they knew how many people they had. They would put the people down in those groupings, and they would create semicircles that would face the person that was speaking in this case, kind of amphitheater style. And so that's what they would have done with these people. They did this in the Old Testament. And so you and I have this need that's coming along. We have this question. We have this troubling spot in our life. And then we know that God has the answer. He has a solution. And God comes along. And right here in this place between is what I call a holy turbulence. That is a holy turbulence. That is where God says, fasten your seatbelt put your tray in the upright position and watch. I'm about to do something you can't do. I'm just about ready to do something here that's going to be legendary. I'm about ready to give you a God moment, a God story. I'm about ready to do something next level that only I can do. It's when the holy turbulence comes, when the divine comes in and says, I'm speaking peace on this troubled water. I'm making food enough for 15,000 people. I'm giving some kind of answer that nobody else has been able to give. He says, I'm going to give something here that's going to be unusual. It's going to be next level. It's going to be a story that you're going to want to tell. This is a great fish story. If you ever heard one, and Jesus is doing this. Little bit of decision. Pack that lunch. Take it out with him. Only one among the crowd with something. David Jeremiah tells a story about a man who called him one day and said, Dr. Jeremiah, my son asked me the other day when we were on our way to church why our family didn't have a Bible. So I think I need to buy my son a Bible. Where should I go and what should I get? So David Jeremiah told him, he said, I would probably go this place and I'd look for a Bible like that and said, and if I may, while you're at it, sir, said David Jeremiah, why don't you get a Bible for yourself? He did. He started reading it. Do you have a Bible? Do you ever read it? He began to read the Bible, and he realized who Christ was. He was sent by God, died on the cross, rose from the dead, offered salvation and forgiveness to anyone who called on him, and he called on the Lord. He was forgiven of his sin, received Christ. His son received Christ. His wife received Christ. His whole family received Christ. Sir, do you know that if you'll receive Christ, most of your family will receive Christ? It's somewhere around that 60, high 68, 78% that they'll come to Christ if you do. And that's exactly what happened. <clears throat> little decision, little phone call. And the third thing I want to point out is anyone and anything plus God is enough to make a difference. Look at verse 11 and verse 15. Consider this boy. He had enough food for himself, barely filled his stomach. Two little fish, five little loaves. But consider the miracle. The size of that boy's offering to Jesus became more notable when the miracle began to unfold. With God, it was going to be enough to feed a crowd of 15,000 people. Holy turbulence was going to happen. 
And the scripture says that Jesus gave thanks. And the scripture here in the Greek is Eucharistine. It's where we get the word Eucharist. And we use the word Eucharist when we are giving thanks. When Jesus at the Last Supper would raise the food and break it, he gave thanks. He gave the Eucharistine. He gave the Eucharist moment there. It's a holy moment when we bless the food. When Pam and I eat, or when I eat by myself, or when I'm with others, I like to always take a moment to have somebody bless the food. If I'm at someone else's house, they bless the food. If I'm at my own house, I bless the food, or have somebody bless the food. I like to pass it around, make sure people still pray, you know. And so it's that moment of blessing. And when Jesus blesses, supernatural things happen. The boy could have gone home and said, Mom, let me tell you what I did today. But the fact of the matter is, all he did was hand the food over to Andrew who handed it over to Jesus. Look what Jesus did today. Everybody there could say, look what we did. But the fact of the matter is, it's look what Jesus did when we gave him the opportunity. When everybody else got out of his way, when everybody else quieted down, when everybody else was at their wits end, everybody's hungry, everybody's tired. And we said, God, I'm at the end of myself. What in the world do you want to do about this? You want to do something about it? It's at that point that God did something extraordinary and the people opened their heart and God began to really do a miracle that was right there before their very eyes. As a matter of fact, just a couple weeks ago at the end of the chapel down at Asbury College, right there at the university, there was a fellow who after chapel along with 19 other people, he said, I just want to say something. And he just stood up. And the pastor who had preached the message that day had already texted his wife and said, well, that was another duff or whatever word he used. I, I didn't do good there. Swing and a miss. You know, sometimes we think we swing and miss at whatever it is we do in life. And God may say, you just did your best work. I can use that. You're out of the way enough, now I can do something with it. Sometimes we think we did our best work and God says, maybe not quite. That's what drives me a lot of times over to my office most of the time and I kneel down at my office before I leave and I say, Lord, I don't know if I did good or bad, but I did what I thought you wanted me to do. So here it is. Use it however you want, it's fine with me. Use or don't use, whatever you say. It's just a little bitty old something that we give to God. And that little bitty old something was a confession where he confessed his sin. And what happened? They started praying. Other people started confessing. They started singing. And over two weeks, they had revival break out 24 hours a day. And it didn't just stay there. It's been going around the globe. Many, many other places. Now, they were able to run around afterwards and pick up the leftovers because they'd keep them for later. But I want to ask you a question. When does this little sack equal 12 of these bigger baskets? I'll tell you one time when it does, and the time that matters most is when Jesus has all of this so he can do all of this. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is what Jesus wants to do in your life and in mine. For us to get out of the way and to let him have his way. When I was a kid, we used to sing a song. Have your own way, Lord. Have your own way. You are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after your will. While I'm waiting, yielded and still. God can upsize, supersize anything that we give him in our life. While I pastored in Olathe, Kansas, Pam and I were there for one year.
they had a couple of school daycare that used the facility that weren't run by the church, but they were there. And they had a function one day where they had a lady come and speak. I had never met her. They said, we want you to be here. We'd like to introduce you to her. She's a very wonderful person. And so while I was there, they said, here, come over here. We want you to meet her. And I was able to meet that day a lady. Her story is she was married to a pastor who years before, while they were at a camp meeting, while they were at that camp meeting, she wasn't feeling real well, evening service. She went back over to the, to the barrack where they were staying, the, the dorm building. It was evening. She put the window up, screens open, so she could get some fresh air and perhaps feel better from that. And she laid down there on the bed. The people, several had left the uh, auditorium, the tabernacle area, and they were walking, and they were over somewhere close to where she was. They didn't know she was in her room. They didn't know she could hear them. And they said, that pastor is really nice and really good, but we're not sure about his wife. She heard it. It devastated her. What would it have done to you? She was crushed inside. She thought, oh no, I'm not going to be able to make it. She said, I let out a prayer right then, and I prayed a prayer to God. She said, God, I may not be much, but I give you all that I am. Please help me to be the best mother and wife that I can be. And she rested her case with God. Others may not think much of you. They may not see you as much of a success. But God who has made you sees you as okay if you'll give yourself to him. What are you waiting on? What are you waiting on right now? What are you waiting on? Could you give yourself to him? Have you given yourself to him? Some of you have. I'm sure some of you maybe have not. And if you died today, you wouldn't go to heaven. But if you open your heart to Christ, you would. It's that simple. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he loves you and he took a cross for you. And he wants you to inhabit heaven with him. And every one of us in this room had that opportunity. It's an individual choice. But this lady gave herself to Christ, totally just said, use me how you want. And you know what happened in that moment? God did use her. She raised up, and everybody's got to have some heroes. I look at other pastors sometime and see some of them in my career path and look at them and say, wow, thank you, God. Thank you for them. They're ahead of me, and they're doing so great. They give me a encouragement. Tommy Barnett, pastor out west in Arizona, magnificent ministry. God has blessed him, anointed him, raised up a great ministry. And from him came Matthew Barnett, who started the Dream Center in L.A., where they took over the hospital and helped all kinds of prostitutes and all kinds of drug addicts. And then his other son came along and has replaced him as a lead pastor at the great church in Arizona. It happened when a lady laid down on her bed and said, God, make me the best wife and best mother I can be. I want to do it for you. And you've got to listen a little faster, but here's a fourth thought I want to give to you and that I see in this passage. Everyone should know the season and capitalize on it for God. You need to know your own season and you need to capitalize on it for God. This boy gave while the crowd was gathered and before he ate his lunch. If he had started biting on this and eating this, it wouldn't have worked. If he'd have been self-centered and said, I don't care if he'd have gone on home, whatever, it wouldn't work. He didn't live in the land of woulda, coulda, shoulda, thought of maybe, oh no, he did not. Uh-uh. 
He said, God, I'm going to give it to you now while I have my whole future ahead of me, while I have my life before me, while everybody needs it, I'm going to give it to you now. Here you go. You get all I have. I'm letting go. You have it. He also gave whenever the need was great. The crowd was busy. They were divided all out here. They were hungry. They were needy. They were looking for something. He didn't drive away from that or walk away from that or whatever happened. No. He stayed in. He leaned into the moment. And sometimes you might look like a fool. You might look like a real spotlight is on you whenever you give yourself to Jesus. But I want to tell you something. He works all things together for good to those who love him. And he knows what he's doing. And if he wants to use you, let him go ahead and use you. He will make something great for himself through you. And he will do more than you ever dreamed possible because that's the God that we serve. He raised up so many in the Bible who were really not all that. And he did something extraordinary with them. And he can do that with us today. A number of years ago, volleyball team, member from Calvary Wesleyan Church, Kate Towers, was headed over to Kosovo on a mission trip. They do work projects, tear up floors, put down new floors, do all kinds of stuff. And Doreen Shannon worked over at uh, Lehigh Valley Hospital and said, hey, we've got some of these little socks. Do you all have any room for them? We'd be happy to give you some of these. And, and uh, maybe you could share them over there. And so they said, well, most things are packed, but we have a little room. They stuffed them in shoes. They stuffed them in the edge of the suitcase. Some of the bags, they put some of them in. I saw the picture of recently of, of that very first moment. And they went ahead and did that. And wouldn't you know that something began to birth? They took them over and they started giving out these socks and people loved them because they would take off their shoes and they went into places. And it became a real thing to have some of these socks with a cool factor and a good factor. And before very long, through these hands, ministry was formed. They started sending reject stuff from the hospital, x-ray machines at work, wheelchairs at work, potty toilet things at work, walkers at work, canes at work, and many other medical supplies that I won't mention because I'm on live right now, that they have been able to send to, listen to this, 71 countries around the world in the last 25 years. That's incredible. And that happened because Doreen said, hey, what about, the doctor said, take it, and they have a shop now over in Sladington, and they attend our church every week. And some of you help out with them and hand these things out. It's an amazing thing. And we just celebrated recently Martin Luther King Jr.'s day. And it was a, a day to remember and a day to think about. And our office was closed that day. I studied a number of Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches as an assignment in class when I was in ministry training. And I learned a lot about how to speak in public speaking. He was one of the most gifted uh, orators of our time. And something very interesting about him, when he was leading toward the end of his life, which was cut way too short, he started handing off some of the leadership to other people in the organization he had formed, seeking equality for all humanity. And when they went to Washington, D.C. on that day, they were going to stand up and they were going to speak. While he's up here speaking, he had a polished, prepared little speech that he was given. And while he gave his polished little speech, Mahalia Jackson. Anybody ever heard of Mahalia Jackson? She was a black female singer. We used to go to the library and rent records. Anybody remember records back before they invented fire, before they invented telephones? You remember that? 
We used to go to, and one of the records I always wanted to get was Mahalia Jackson. We bring that home and turn that on. Oh my goodness, she'd sing, What Manner of Man Is This? I love that music. I love soul music. And she would sing and just take it. It was awesome. And she was in the audience, and she's right down here, somewhere in the front. And Martin was coming through, just kind of giving a speech that wasn't moving too many people. And he was letting everybody else speak, and something needed to happen. And before very long, Mahalia shouted out to him, said, hey, Martin, tell them what you told them before. Tell them about your dream. And he had told that a couple places, stops before. And that's when he took off on that, I have a dream. That one day, and you remember his story and his dream. And he shared that, seeking equality for everybody. It was a little conversation from a lady in the crowd who knew him well, wasn't there to disrupt, wasn't there to dictate, but was there to encourage him. And in that moment, he began to take off. And it was that one student in college who stood there and said, I have to confess today. And he began to confess. And the Asbury revival began with a simple confession. So I draw three applications to this message. Please bring them up. The first one that I've talked to you about is that day that boy discovered what it's like to be on a winning team. Have you discovered what it's like to be on a winning team? I'm not talking about a little trophy that fades. I'm talking about a winning team. Legendary stuff. Next level stuff. Legacy stuff. This boy learned what it was to be on that. Number two, look at this. Number two, that day this boy discovered his own God story. He didn't have a God story borrowed from a Sunday school teacher. His story would be used by Sunday school teachers. (laughs) This boy didn't have just a God story from his mother. This boy had his own God story. And the thing we need all across this audience today, and all of you watching today, we need our God stories to be happening in our life. So we know who God is, and we connect with God, and we're able to give him everything and let him, and then the third thing is this. That day, this boy learned that what you pick up afterwards depends on what you're giving him now. If you gave God nothing when you came into the service, you'll probably go home with nothing. But if you gave God something, you'll probably go home with a basket, two or 10 or 12 full today. What will you do with what God has for you now? Will you accept it as a God moment and create that holy turbulent opportunity for God to plus size your life? Lord, thank you for this message today and however you choose to use it, We humbly give it to you and thank you for your word, a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Thank you for giving me strength to preach today when I have not felt well at all, but today you have given me strength. I praise your name that you have many, many times multiplied the efforts of many of us across this congregation and you have done the next level extraordinary. Today, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Make yourself look good among us. And let us obey you in kindness, in Jesus' name. Get the glory and honor for whatever it is you have us do in our companies, in our neighborhoods, the hot dog clubs we start, the fish and chip bag we give to you. Whatever it is, let it honor you, in Jesus' name. Amen.